So Jesus told parables to make an unexpected point. It's a particular kind of storytelling. And usually, I've compared it before to a joke because there's kind of a punchline at the end or there's a moment when uh, things kind of flip on their head. There's some unexpected turn and you realize, wait a minute, he's talking to me. That was a cool story, but all of a sudden, he, you know, he gets you. Um, and the intent is to draw you to you know, good and righteous behavior. Helpfully, we don't always know exactly who his audience is, but in, in this reading from Luke 18, he tells us exactly who the parable is for, right? So in verse 9, he told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they viewed others with contempt. So that's the target audience. I wonder if you know anybody like that who trusts, who thinks they're righteous and they kind of view other people with contempt. Or have you ever been like that? I think I probably have at points. What about this? The word righteous is a pretty close synonym. Whenever I'm trying to explain that spiritual word, uh, it, it is very similar to just the word right that we use. What if I swapped it out and I said, do you know someone who is sure that they're right and views others with contempt? Have you ever done that? This is where Jesus gets to meddling a little bit. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And on his behalf, I'm going to do some meddling. So there are two men in Luke 18, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And you heard the story. They both go up to the temple to pray. Um, the Pharisee starts his prayer, and uh, it's, it's, it's basically, I'm better than the other guy prayer, and kind of celebrating that. It's interesting. Uh, it says he was praying this to himself. Now, I know that just means kind of, under your breath, but it's like he, he missed God altogether, right? I mean, we could interpret it that way. I think you, I'm not like all these other people around me, these no good swindler type people. And then he sees the tax collector, especially that guy. You know, thank you, Lord, that I'm so good. And then we hear the prayer of the tax collector, which is just this short, humble, he doesn't even look up, just uh, you know, head, head bowed, says, be merciful to me, Lord, I'm a sinner. Often parables, really always in parables, there's a turning of the tables. It's not particularly hidden in this case. I mean, what would have been expected is, well, if you have a Pharisee and a tax collector, the Pharisee should be a holy, righteous, you know, good person. So if we get to hear his prayers, it should be kind of a model prayer. What might be expected of the tax collector is, what in the world is he doing in the temple in the first place? He's, he's betrayed our people. He works for... Uh, the empire for Rome, he, take, he takes our taxes and has a Roman sword, you know, to back it up. Uh, total traitor to our kind, right? So that's, it's already a twist that he's even there. But the real twist is especially, remember who the audience is, it basically is the Pharisee, is this over-the-top portrayal. Now, you just can't miss the, the smugness and the self-righteousness, um, you know, if, it, if he had dialed it down, it could have just sounded like a normal prayer. Uh, help me not, not be a swindler. Help me not be, um, you know, all these things. But, but Jesus kind of ratchets it all up to the maximum level so that you can see clearly this is not what God wants. This kind of um, self-satisfied, smug attitude. And so given that his audience was these people, these very Pharisees, they would not have been pleased. It would have been this, wait a minute... <laughs> Is this me he's talking about? 
if any, I mean, we know that Jesus was also followed by tax collectors, prostitutes, the outcasts of society, some who are considered unclean because of sickness um, or leprosy or that kind of thing. It was was kind of all the non-religious, out-on-the-edges folks. Presumably, they were near enough to hear this or, or heard it later. His audience is the Pharisees, but think, too, about what the twist that would have happened to any who were outcasts. What they heard at the end was those who are humble, like this tax collector, God will lift them up. God will exalt them. That's why I chose that psalm at the beginning. The one who lifts my head, right? The tax collector, head down, I'm a sinner, Lord have mercy. God is portrayed as the one who lifts uh, the head up, exalts that person. Well, that, that moment, and this is the whole point of a parable in general, I think, and especially this one, is that, hey, are you talking to me <laughs> moment, which isn't, probably usually isn't pleasant when you realize that this interesting story Jesus is telling, it's like the spotlight suddenly turns and, you know, it's right on you. So I want to ask where we, where you and I might find ourselves in this parable. I've already suggested that word substitution. Do you know someone who is sure that they are right and views others who disagree with them uh, with contempt. More personally, are you ever like that? The first place um, my mind went, and trust me, I mean this as an equal opportunity offender, is politics. I, along with so many of us, in our heads say, I know what I think about immigration, racism, the economy. I know what I think about Republicans. I know what I think about Democrats. I have some answers in my head. And for many of us, I'm pretty sure I'm right. The other person is wrong. We see that played out in public discourse, especially online, but even um, in person sometimes. It's easy to then think in terms of, well, if I'm right, that means the people that disagree with me, they're all wrong. And I wonder if we ever have taken that far enough to find ourselves in the place of that Pharisee praying the prayer, Lord, thank you that I'm not like these other people, selfish, manipulative, power hungry, deceived, or even like that, fill in the blank of your least favorite political party. I do this and that. I'm one of the good guys, Lord. Thank you for making me me, right? None of us have done that, I don't think. Maybe we have. Here's where the twist comes in. I'm, I'm going to try to pull a parable move. When you hear me talking like that, do you think of someone else who needs to be listening right now? Or do you say, that's for me? Right? It's, it's the Pharisee move all over again to say, yeah, he has a good point up there. I know plenty of people who think they're right And I know some are in this room, and I sure hope they're listening to Robert right now. That's still the Pharisee, right? It's when you can say, Jesus might just be talking about me here. That's the move of, Lord, I I have fallen short. Help me. I'm a sinner. So the question that I think comes out of this is, what does humility look like in our setting, our modern social and political context? That's where I want to jump to our other scripture reading In Matthew 6, you you might think, what in the world does that have to do with this? When you fast, don't put on a gloomy face 
but wash your face. <laughs> wash your face. The point is, what he's saying there is when you do this spiritual holy act, this fasting and praying, don't, don't do it so that others will know that you're fasting and praying as if to say, hey, look at me. Right? Then we've turned our humility into pride and a thing to look at. But wash your face, get dressed up, look like you're just having a normal day. And, and that humility, if it's truly humility, it's done just before the Lord for the sake of you and the Lord. That fasting, that praying. Humility, and that this is the connection I want to make to define it for you, it is um, the, the attitude or the heart posture of the person who's living out the great commandment. Love God with all you are and all you've got. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Christy was illustrating when we, when we apologize, when we say, I'm sorry to another person. You may still have all the feelings, all the, the disappointment or the sadness or the anger, but But going to someone to seek reconciliation is caring for them. It's loving them well and seeking to make right um, what's wrong. I was trying to think of some ways to explain this, and I I don't mean this to offend. I'm just going to say if you're of one generation, you might call this tooting your own horn. If I mentioned that to my kids, they would say, what in the world are you talking about? (laughs) In modern speak, if you're on the the interwebs, the social media, um, tooting your own horn is often uh, a phrase that describes that is uh, performative action, right? So I change my profile picture to a color or a banner or a flag to indicate that I am behind a particular issue. (laughs) A week or two later, I change it back to my dog or my child or myself doing something crazy. Do we care about the things that we care about truly for them, or do we want to be seen being compassionate and caring about the things that we care about? This is back to the Pharisee behavior. Look at me. I tithe. I fast. Thank you, Lord, for making me me. And the the whole wash your face thing is, if you're going to live out true humility, if you're going to live out the great commandment and love God and love others, it, it doesn't need to be seen, except perhaps to show God off, to point people to God, but not to show people me, right? Humility is the heart posture of someone who is living out loving God with all they are and all they've got and living out love of neighbor. At the the supreme risk of using a story out of my own life to um, illustrate this, (laughs) just shot myself in the foot there, right? Um, I think it'll be okay. Uh, some of you are familiar with this story, but I, there, years ago, let's say 10 years ago, our presbytery, that's the collection of Presbyterian churches in our area, there's about 100 of them, we would meet four or five times a year, and typically there was some issue, and sometimes political, sometimes theological, sometimes kind of overlapping, but let's say any old issue. And the way that we handle that for years, for all See, I'm in like year 30 of ministry. For the first 22, 24 years of that, always Presbyterians, and these are pastors, mind you, we would debate an issue by putting a microphone on each side of the room, and folks would go to either the pro or the con microphone and line up. And pastors love to talk, so they had to put time limits on them. But just one after another. This is why this is a good thing. This is why this is a bad thing. Um, 
we're on God's side. No, no, we're on God's side. I mean, just, and, and nobody's mind was ever changed. It was back and forth and back and forth. It's not all pastors. There are a few elders mixed in there too. But these were, like the Pharisee, these were all God's people, right, going to their meeting to argue about stuff and why they were right and the other person was wrong. And I, I did that along with everybody else. I'd like to think I was a little less uh, beastly than others, but nonetheless, I lined up at microphones and did the same thing. Around 2012, I think, uh, we had another hot issue of the day come up and um, had the idea of, of trying to do that in a way that was more upbuilding of our community. Because these are all people, the, all these churches and pastors and elders and congregations were supposedly in it together to do the Lord's work in the city of Charlotte and surrounding counties. And so I approached um, an acquaintance of mine, uh, Kate Murphy. She's the pastor at the Grove Presbyterian Church. We were, we were the two people in leadership uh, at that point. And said, hey, do you think you and I could um, begin the next round of discussions and try to set a different tone? We recognized that we disagreed on the issue, and we decided to meet weekly for about eight or ten weeks leading up to that next meeting where the vote was going to be. And what happened, I'll jump to pray what you're wanting to know, neither of us changed our perspective, but we both deepened significantly on our understanding of the issue. Typically, people that argue don't ever listen to each other, and, and it's just kind of a fixed and often simplistic view. We both came to a much more nuanced, and I would say compassionate view, because of the conversation with each other. We had much more significant conversation on the issue. And here's the other big part. We became very good friends. So that when we started off, you know, they had the microphones again at the meeting, but we spent the first 20 minutes introducing the issue and besides making our own case, um, we were able to say, this is what I learned from each other, from my friend, Kate, from my friend, Robert. And to say, I got up in my speech and I said, I want you to listen to Kate because I trust and respect her and the way that she has thought through this. Give her your best attention and listen. And I, and I added, um, I, would, I would be honored to call her my pastor. She's a great pastor. And she said other nice things about me. It didn't, you know, usher in the rainbows and unicorns that day, but um, it, it definitely struck a note. And in hindsight, um, looking back, we, our presbytery, in the eight or ten years since then, we've not done the lining up thing again. We've discussed things. We've had a lot of roundtables, a lot of uh, coffee table, um, town hall kinds of things. But that, that kind of ended that day. There were still a few folks who lined up and did their thing, but a lot of people that got up and just said, thank you. I've never heard the range of opinions on this until today. And just a lot of good came out of that. Um, and again, the point is not, <laughs> please, the point is not, hey, look at Robert. He's, you know, thank you for making me me. It's, I think we discovered what Jesus is talking about here, the route of humility, which is we set aside, I want to win this debate today. I want to win this debate today. And we ask the question, what is the best thing for this community that we're a part of that will also honor the Lord. That's the, the great commandment again. How do I love the Lord with all I am and all I've got? And how do I love my neighbor, the people that I'm in community with? And that led to 
I think, some good fruit. So I want to end by coming back to you and me. What is humility that glorifies God and loves the others in our community? What does that look like? Are there ways that you are performative or toot your own horn that just could be set aside for authentic communication and conversation with each other? Uh, Jesus, I believe, this is a very loose translation of a scripture passage. Jesus meddles because he loves Scripture says our Father disciplines us because he loves us. Jesus meddles because he loves. And my prayer is that that I and you with me have ears to hear this morning. Amen.